0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Amen, amen, and thank you, worship team, for kicking things off. Can you guys help me thank the worship team? I. Love and appreciate them so much, John. You guys do an awesome job every week. Today, welcome. My name is Ricky Hemi. Thanks for joining us today in person. Thank you for those of you who are joining us today online. Today is week two of a new sermon series we're doing called Theology 101 Understanding. The basics, and I'm really excited because today is, uh, is, is probably the one I'm most excited about because it's probably the hardest one to explain, so I'm also nervous at the same time because today we're going to be talking about the Trinity. So I don't know if you've ever spent time studying the Trinity or tried explaining the Trinity to a child. The Trinity is not an easy one to explain or to talk about, but it is an essential of the Christian faith. St. Augustine, one of the guys, he was on the picture in the last slide. Annie, can you go to the last one real quick? Uh, So that's St. Augustine right there. He's from about 300 AD. He wrote this about the Trinity, and this is how I feel today. Go ahead to that next one, uh, the quote from Augustine. I think we have the quote. Maybe we don't have the quote. This is what he says. He says, to deny the Trinity is to lose your soul, but to explain the Trinity is to lose your mind. That's what I feel like today. So we are we are it's kind of a tightrope that we're walking on here today. And I'm going to do my best to explain the Trinity, but I need you to know up front that we cannot unlock all the mysteries of God in a single sermon. We just can't do that. God is huge, enormous. He can't fit into our little boxes. He doesn't always fit into our perfect little categories. His ways are higher than our ways. The God of creation is mysterious and mighty. We are finite beings, and he is eternal. And so as we talk about God today, I want us to do a good job at trying to understand God and and, and just understand what he reveals about himself through his word, and especially in this respect with with the Trinity. But just know that there are going to be some mysteries about God when it comes to this topic that we're not going to understand until the day we meet him face to face. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into this message. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for another day to to live life, to experience love, to love you, to love our neighbors. I thank you, God, just for your many blessings. And even now, Lord, as the world just seems to be shaking and there is so much uncertainty and I know that along with that there's anxiety and there's fear and there's concern, I pray that in the midst of all the turmoil, that you would remind us that you are on the throne. You are sovereign over all. You are big, you are mighty, you are in control, and you love your people. You will provide for your people. And so I pray that if any of us are feeling anxious today, that we would right now just begin to just surrender ourselves to you. That you take away those things that are distracting us from you. That we would just be able to be present in this, wor- in this worship place as we open up your word. And I just pray that you would just speak to us. Speak over our hearts and give us your strength and your courage and your love and your grace today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now we're going to kick things off by exploring uh, uh, what some other religions have thought about this topic. But I wanted to start with this. Did you know there are over 4,200 religions in the world? Over 4,200 religions. Now, of all those 4,200 religions, what religion do you think is the most practiced religion on the planet? Any guesses? Christianity. Christianity is the most practiced religion on the planet. Now, I find this to be interesting because most religions in the world fall under one of two categories. There are two kinds of religions out there. The first kind is called polytheism. Poly comes from two words. Poly means uh, many in Greek. Theos means God. So polytheism is the belief in many gods. Uh, Examples of polytheism include Hinduism, Buddhism, Greek mythology, ancient paganism. Okay, So there's lots of polytheistic religions out there. The second major category of religions is called monotheism. Mono means one in Greek. Theos means God. So monotheism is the belief in one God. And there are three major monotheistic religions. That is Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Now, it might be tempting as we talk about this. It might be tempting at times to think that maybe all of these 4,200 religions worship the same God. But what is commandment number one of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other what? No other gods before me. And so as you read the scriptures, you will learn that there is one true God. There are many false gods. And when it comes to all the different versions of God out there, there is no God like the God of the Bible. And what makes Christianity unique, what sets Christianity apart from every other religion on the planet is that we worship a triune God. We believe in something called the Trinity. Trinity is simply this. One God, we worship one God in three persons. Trinity, one God in three persons. That's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion on the planet. Now, the interesting thing about the word Trinity is that it doesn't actually exist in your Bible. Did you guys notice that? If you read your Bible, you, would, you can't find the word Trinity. The word Trinity was invented by a guy named Tertullian around 200 AD. And he invented the word to help describe a reality that we see in Scripture. People were trying to figure out how to explain the fact that we worship one God and three persons. So they, come, they came up with this word Trinity. So the word Trinity isn't inspired, but the idea of the Trinity is inspired. One God and three persons. So what does the Trinity mean? Here, let me give you a definition. Trinity defined. Here's the Trinity defined. God eternally exists as three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, and there is one God. That's the Trinity. Now, I know that's kind of Hard to comprehend at first, so we're going to kind of walk through this today. And today I want to answer three questions about the Trinity. The first is, what's the scriptural basis for the Trinity? The second is, what are some major doctrinal errors regarding the Trinity? And the third is, how does the Trinity impact our everyday lives? Okay, so, so you got to hang with me today because I'm struggling with this message because there are two ways that this message could, could go. One is this could be just a, a, a lecture, And I know you guys don't like lectures. I know that my kids don't like lectures, and so I'm going to try to not make it a lecture. The other thing is it could be a sermon, and we might miss out on some of the important information. So hang with me. I'm going to try to do my best to give good information and also application throughout the message. So question number one is this. What is the scriptural basis for the Trinity? Now, one of the challenging things about teaching on the Trinity is that it's a doctrine that is progressively revealed throughout Scripture. This means that the Bible doesn't just come and say outright, right at the beginning, that God is Trinity. Instead, it progressively reveals the nature and the essence of God as the message of Scripture unfolds. We call this progressive revelation. In the Old Testament, the Trinity is alluded to. But in the New Testament, the Trinity becomes more explicit. So let's begin with the Trinity in the Old Testament. Well, hints of the Trinity are found at the beginning verses of the Old Testament. This is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the who? Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So right here, right when you open up your Bible, right off the onset, the beginning pages, we are introduced to the fact that God exists as God the Father, God the Spirit. And if you were to open up John chapter 1, it would say, in the beginning was the what? Word. And who is the Word? And who is, and who is, uh, yeah, but the, what person of the Trinity is the Word. Jesus, right? So we already see a plurality in the Godhead right at the beginning of the Bible. Now, to to kind of make this point further, I don't know if you know this, but the word Elohim, Elohim, where we get the word God, this is actually a masculine plural noun. It's plural. So right off the beginning of the Bible, we see a plurality within God. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's not enough for me just yet to believe in the Trinity. We'll skip down a few verses to Genesis 1.26. This is what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, what's strange about the construction of this sentence? What's strange about it? It's the plural pronouns, right? Let us make man in our image. Image. And so the big idea is right from the beginning of the Bible, although mysterious, we see a plurality within the Godhead. And this plurality continues to unfold throughout Scripture. I'll give you a few more Old Testament examples. The first one is Genesis 3.22. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Next one. Genesis 11, 7, come, let us go down there and confuse their language. Next one, Isaiah 6, 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So there are many Old Testament passages that point to the Trinity, That allude to the Trinity. But one passage that I like above all the others is Isaiah 61.1. Because in Isaiah 61.1, we get an idea of who the us actually is. And this is what it says. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Written 700 years before Jesus even walked on the face of the earth. It's It's a passage that Jesus talked about and read. We're going to talk about that in a second. But this is what it says. Speaking of Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Holy Spirit of the Lord God, God the Father, is upon me. Who's the me in this passage? The Son, Jesus. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He's anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Pastor Seth mentioned this passage last week. He likes this passage because he said, in this passage, Jesus looks like a boss. You guys remember that? Jesus went to his hometown, went to a synagogue. He opened up the Isaiah scroll. He had a chance to share with his friends and family members about who he was. He opens Isaiah to Isaiah 66, 61, one. He reads the passage in their presence, and he says, oh, by the way, this is talking about me. And then he drops the mic. You guys remember that? Seth loves that passage. He needs a a t-shirt of this passage, okay? So, here we see the us that we're talking about in the Old Testament. We see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, this is me. In Isaiah, we see not just a plurality, but three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And to clarify When I say that each member, when I talk about each member of the Trinity being a person, that does not mean that the Father or the Spirit became human beings. Okay, that's not what I mean when I say person. Rather, what I mean here is that each member of the Trinity has a personality, each member of the Trinity can be known. Each person thinks and acts and feels and speaks and relates because they are not impersonal forces. They are equally and fully God. Okay, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit next week. Sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we treat the Holy Spirit like the force from Star Wars. But the Holy Spirit is not a force, an impersonal force like gravity. The Holy Spirit is a person. You can't have a relationship with gravity. Some of you feel like you've had a relationship with gravity. But you don't really get to know gravity. Gravity is not going to talk to you. It's just going to hurt you when you fall down. That's all. But you can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. Each person in the Godhead, you can have a relationship with the Father, a relationship with the Son, a relationship with the Spirit. Now, so those are just a few of the Old Testament passages that point to the Trinity. Now I want to switch gears and look at the New Testament. And I want to give you four examples of the Trinity in the New Testament. Here, when we get to the New Testament pages, the Trinity becomes far more explicit. Okay, so I'll give you a few examples. The first is Jesus' birth. We covered this during Christmas, when the angel delivered the news of Jesus to Mary, this is what the angel said. He said, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you." Who's the Most High? God the who? Father. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. That's Jesus. So here we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. Another example of this is Jesus' baptism. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending upon him like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son. Here's the father speaking. My beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So here, at one moment, we see three members of the Trinity performing three distinct activities. God the father is speaking from heaven. God the son is being baptized. God the Holy Spirit is descending upon the son. Another great example, the best example, if you guys want one reference to help you with the Trinity, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. If you want one reference, someone says, where's the Trinity in the Bible? Go to this one, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. And this is good for a couple reasons. One, it shows the Trinity, and two, it shows your mission as a Christian, our mission as a church. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Singular. You see that? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The name, one name. Each person fully God, equally God, one God. Three persons. Now, even though there's a plurality within the Godhead, we still worship one God. This is where it becomes complicated. We worship one God. Deuteronomy says, we go to the next passage. Deuteronomy says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We talked about this when we talked about marriage. Echad. It's a compound one. The Lord is one. The next one is James passage. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. One God in three persons. You guys hanging in there so far? Okay. I'll give you one more hint as you're reading your own Bibles. If you want to be more aware of the Trinity in your own reading time, your own study time, look for these three words as you're reading the Bible. Go to the next one. Yeah. Three words. Look for God, Lord, Spirit. When you're in the New Testament, you're going to see these three words, God, Lord, and Spirit. They come from three different Greek terms. Theos for God, kurios for Lord, panuma for Spirit. And these three references are usually a reference to God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Lord, our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit. I'll give you an example of this. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6 says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, panuma. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Kurios, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God, Theos, who empowers them all and everyone. As soon as you start paying attention to those three words, Lord, Spirit, God, in the New Testament, you are going to start seeing the Trinity everywhere. Go ahead and go to the next passage. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the love of God, this is God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So that's the Trinity. Now we could look at a bunch of other verses, but I think, got a, I think we've got a good enough idea right now for the scriptural basis of the Trinity. And what I want you to know, just looking at, just surveying some verses, what I want you to know right now is this. The doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery that we may never fully comprehend this side of heaven. But there are three things, according to Scripture, that we know to be true. And these th- three things about God will always be true. And as soon as you ditch one of these three things, that is where cults are born. Okay, cults are born when one of these three things is ditched. So what do we know about God and the Trinity? Number one, God is three persons. That's what, that's what we see in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Number two... Each person is fully God. Okay, the spirit is not lesser. The son is not lesser. Each person is fully God. Number three, there is one God. So that's what we know to be true about the Trinity. Now, with that in mind, I wanna answer another question, and it's this. What are some of the major doctrinal errors regarding the Trinity? So where do we go wrong? Where do cults begin when it comes with this topic? Where where do we go off off base? Well, I wanna show you guys three common errors uh, when it comes to this doctrine, this belief, and the titles here are a little bit technical, so continue to hang with me. I love that you guys are sticking it out right now. Uh, Hopefully, I'll be able to explain these well enough to where it's simple for you. So I want to show you guys three common errors. The first common error is something called modalism. Modalism. Modalism says that God is one person who appears to us in three different modes. That's modalism. And the issue with modalism is that God is not three distinct persons, but only one person who chooses to appear to us at different times in different ways. So the thinking here is that in the Old Testament, God appeared as the Father. And then when you get to the pages of the Gospels in the New Testament, God chose to appear as the Son. And then when you get to Pentecost and beyond in the New Testament, God chose to appear as the Holy Spirit. He's, he's just one person appearing in three different modes. These are not three distinct persons. Now, when I think of this doctrinal error, and it is a big one, okay, and I'll show you why this is a big deal in just a moment, but when I think of this doctrinal error, I can't help but think of one of my favorite video game characters, Super Mario. Anybody? Any Super Mario fans in here? Okay, if you're not, I'm sure your kids are or were. or I, What I love about Super Mario is every generation is acquainted with Super Mario. Now, with Super Mario, if you ever played that game with your kids or your grandkids or you yourself, and I know some of you are still playing it today. Don't lie. When Super Mario sees this, this leaf, we'll go to the first leaf. When he sees this leaf and he runs into it, what happens to Super Mario He becomes Fire Mario, right? My son loves Fire Mario. You go to Fire Mario. He's throwing the fireballs at the enemies. He's getting all the Koopa Troopas and whatever those guys are called. And he goes to town with those fireballs. But if Super Mario runs into this next leaf, the fire or the ice leaf, what does Mario turn into? He turns into Ice Mario where he's throwing these ice balls. This is the best one, by the way, if you play Mario. You freeze your opponent and then you pick them up and you throw them and smash. It's awesome. Okay, so... That's Ice Mario. Then there's another, there's a few different modes. The the other one though, I want to show you is this leaf one. Now this leaf, this one sounds kind of weird. Like what what would this leaf turn into? Do you guys know what he turns into? Yeah, flying raccoon Mario. How does this equal raccoon Mario? I don't know. How does a leaf equal a raccoon? But that's what he becomes. So that's my favorite one because I just say peace out to everybody. I don't even mess with the bad guys. Okay, so Mario. What's happening here with Mario. Here we have one Mario taking on three different modes. These are not three distinct persons. These are three versions of the same person. And this can be true of Mario, and this is often true of us. Okay, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. We all take on different roles. We all adopt different modes. But this isn't true of the Trinity. This isn't true of the Trinity, See, the fatal shortcomings of this is that it denies that God is one in essence but three in person and that each person is fully God. It denies the personal relationships that exist within the Trinity. God is a relational being. We've been created in the image of a relational being. The reason you love people is because God has love within himself, love for himself, for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason you value relationships, marriage, children, community is because God is a God of community. And so when we take out the community within God, we actually lose out on creation. Creation doesn't make sense anymore. And we also lose out on the atonement. You see, if 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 there were no if if God did not exist as three persons, one God, then every time that Jesus was praying to the Father. It was just a charade. Jesus' baptism in those other episodes was just a show. It wasn't actually real. It was just just an act for everyone to watch. But most of all, modalism loses the heart of the doctrine of the atonement, our salvation. Because here's what the gospel message proclaims. The gospel message is that God sent his son. To be a sacrifice for us. And that the Son willingly and joyfully died in our place for our sins. To atone for our sins so that we can be made whole. And when we believe in him, we are saved. Because when we believe in him, who is it that applies salvation to us? Is it God the Father? God the Son? No. Who is it that applies God's salvation to us? What's his name? The Holy Spirit. The whole trinity is involved in your salvation. God planned it. Jesus accomplished it. The Holy Spirit applied it. If you throw out the trinity, guess what you also throw out? Your salvation. That's why modalism is so dangerous. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one. So of the three statements about The Trinity, which one does modalism reject? It rejects statement number one. That's that God is three persons. So you see, we have to have all three of these statements to be orthodox in our belief. Second common form of of heresy on this topic is something called Arianism. Arianism. So Arianism says that the Father is God, but that the Son and the Holy Spirit are not. That's Arianism. Arius was a false teacher who taught that God the Son was at one point created by God the Father and that before that time, the Son did not exist, nor did the Holy Spirit. And so the teaching here is that God the Son and God the Spirit are lesser gods. And if you think that this doesn't apply to us today or something that should be on our radar today, then I want you to think back to maybe people who have knocked on your door to share about God with you. There are groups that will come through your neighborhood and knock on your door and share about God with you, but the God that they're going to talk about with you is this kind of God. The, one of the groups I'm thinking of is called Jehovah's Witnesses. And I'm not here to bash other people or or anything like that, but I just want to put this on your radar. Okay, One thing that Jehovah's Witnesses teach, and I told you that anytime you deny one of these categories, you go off in the weeds and, and you become cultish. Uh, one, one of the ways that... that Arianism was adopted by Jehovah's Witnesses, is that they teach that God was first, that God that God the Father is God, and that He's the highest created being, and that He created Jesus later, and that He created the Spirit later, and that there's some kind of force, and they're lesser beings than God the Father. They deny the Trinity. Now, the fatal shortcomings of this is that this problem, the problem with this view, is that it completely denies what we see in Scripture. What did Jesus talk about when he talked about his ministry? He would say things like this, I and the Father are what? Do you guys remember? One. We also, we mentioned this verse a minute ago from from John, talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Here we're talking about Jesus, the Word of God, the one who speaks life into existence. And the Word was with God eternally. This is the eternal Son of God. Jesus is not a created being. The Spirit is not a created force. The the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been eternal and have always existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so here, one of the fatal shortcomings is not only are you denying Scripture if you believe in Arianism, but you're actually getting rid of creation. Because without the Son, we wouldn't exist. Without the plan of the Father, we wouldn't exist. Without the life of the Spirit, we wouldn't exist. So which of these statements does it, does it ditch? It's this one, each person is fully God. So you see, as soon as you lose one of these, you get off in the weeds. Arianism denies that each person is fully God. Finally, we'll get one more here, and that is called something called tritheism. Tritheism. So tritheism, when talking about the Trinity, this is the belief in three independent gods. Okay, so tritheism is similar to many ancient religions that held to a multiplicity of gods. As I mentioned earlier, polytheism, the belief in many gods, characterizes much of the world uh, except for Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And all all Christians throughout all of time have affirmed the Trinity. What's so interesting about this topic is that Christians, you could be at a Methodist church, a Pentecostal church, a Baptist church, a community church, doesn't matter what kind of church you go to. If you're a Christian, everybody agrees on this topic, the Trinity. But sometimes we miss it when we explain it. So I wanna give you one example of one of the ways that we actually botch the Trinity because maybe you've done this with your kids. It's okay. We've been there. I've been there. But here's one of the ways that we actually teach something called tritheism. Three independent gods instead of one god and three persons. And it's the the illustration of the egg. Any of you guys use this? Thank you for admitting it. I've been there too. Okay, so here's the illustration of the egg. The illustration of the egg is, so you got got the, uh, the shell, you got the yolk, and you got the egg white. And that, you know, this is the father, this is the son, this is the Holy Spirit. But when the egg is all together, it's one egg. What's the problem with this though? Is the yoke ever the full egg? No, it can't be. Is the shell ever the full egg? No, it can't be. And so every time I've tried to come up with an illustration for the Trinity, I've realized that my illustration actually just invented a heresy. So I stopped with illustrations, okay? I stopped with illustrations. And this is what I chose to do instead with my kids. Instead, I want to model the Trinity through things like prayer, so we're, we're instructed in scripture how to pray, right? We pray our who? Father in heaven. And what does Jesus say? He says, anything that you ask in what? My name will be given to you. So we pray to the Father in the name of the Son. And who is the one who fills us with words to say, words to pray over our children, words to pray over our lives, words to pray over our church? What is his name? The Holy Spirit. So instead of illustrations for my kids, I've decided to just go practical with them. To remind them, the Father loves you so much, he made you. The Holy Spirit loves you so much, he's going to help you, Johnny, today to be a nice boy. <laughs> Sissy, the Holy Spirit loves you so much that she's gonna, he's going to help you today to, 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 to not kick your brother when he's rude. Which he deserves it most of the time. Blake, I know you messed up today. And, and, and Blake, I don't know if you have any perfectionist children, but, but, but Blake is a perfectionist. When she messes up, she beats herself up over it. She gets so upset. She hates messing up. She has straight A's in school, and she doesn't like anything but straight A's, and she doesn't like messing up or letting anybody down. And so you know what I have to remind Blake of often? You know, I know that's bugging you that you did that. I know you regret it. I know you're embarrassed. I know you feel guilty. But you know what? Jesus died for that sin, Blake. Jesus loves you. And all you have to do is confess to him and talk to him. He'll forgive you. The Father loves you. And the Holy Spirit will help you. That is the beauty of the Trinity. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is why this topic is important in the church. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Tritheism separates the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It denies that there is one God. Anytime we deny one of these statements, we get off on the weeds and we, we go into a, a topic called heresy. And so I wanted to kind of give you guys some guardrails. Now now I want to wrap this up with some application. How does the Trinity impact everyday life? I gave you an example with my kids. But I want to give you a few other examples. As I wrestled through the application, I came to realize that the Trinity is the supreme example of perfect, loving relationship. You crave relationships. You crave unity. You crave love. You crave transparency. You crave peace. Because God is a God of love and peace and transparency and unity. You crave diversity because God is a God of diversity. Everything you crave is because you were created in the image of a triune God. That's what's so important here about The Trinity, we long for these things because we've been created to long for these things. And within God, we learn a lot about perfect relationship. We learn a lot about perfect unity. We learn a lot about perfect communication. Man, that's a good one for marriage. Perfect communication within God, perfect transparency, perfect relational happiness. So three ways the Trinity impacts everyday life. Number number one is this, the Trinity affirms the value of unity and diversity. See, the cool thing about God is that within God, there is diversity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But within God, there is also unity. This means that we too should value unity and diversity. Both. We should value diversity. Diverse perspectives, diverse cultures, Diverse experiences. What I love about South Valley is that not everybody is the same at South Valley. That is something to celebrate. Can I get an amen? Amen. We value diversity. One of the ways that we want to grow in diversity as a church is we want to grow in intergenerational ministry. I've been talking to you guys like, guys, who's your guy? Gals, what's the young girl that you're investing in? What's her name? We want to grow in intergenerational diversity. We want to see all age stages represented. We want to see all ethnicity groups represented. When you come, we want you to see somebody that you relate with, and we want you to be invested in by somebody who's ahead of you. Further along in life, further along in marriage, diversity is amazing. We should it celebrate diversity, and in nature, one thing I learned this week, in nature, diversity doesn't take away resources. Diversity actually creates more resources. And some of us need to hear this because some of us become very protective of our own way of doing things, and that's it. We need to do it this way and only this way because that's how it's always been done. There's nothing wrong with tradition, but sometimes what we would benefit in our lives from is a little bit of diversity. But the flip side of that is also unity. In everything, we should promote unity. We should go out of our way for oneness. Go out of our way to build up the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Go out of our way to work on those relationships that are broken. Because a broken relationship misrepresents the oneness of God. God made us to be one with him. God made us to be one with each other. Jesus came to reconcile our relationship with God on the cross Jesus came to reconcile our relationship with one another by his blood, breaking down the walls that divide us. Okay, the world may be crazy, the world may be chaotic, the world may be at war with one another, but in this church, we will be one. And we will fight for oneness. We will fight for love. We will fight for unity. And we'll go across the aisle to engage with people who are not like us from differing perspectives of us and get to know them and listen to them and love them and point them to the Savior because Jesus loves them, Jesus loves us, God has a plan for unity and one day all things will be reconciled under Jesus' feet and all things will be made right. There will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more crying, no more war. Second application, the Trinity affirms the importance of authority and submission. No one likes this word, (laughs) submission, me included. But all of us are called to both of these things at certain points in our lives. You see, within the Godhead, there is perfect authority and perfect submission. There's an authority submission structure. The son is sent by the father and the spirit is sent by the father and the son. The son does the will of the father and the spirit glorifies the son. And never once when we are singing songs to Jesus does the Holy Spirit sit back and think, wow, I wish that was for me. The spirit delights in bringing praise to the son. The father delights in pointing the world to his son. The son delights in reconciling us to the father. There's this perfect authority submission structure. Authority submission structures, they exist all around us and all of us at times are in position of authority and all of us at times are in a position of submission. One is not more important than the other. When you're in a position of authority, it doesn't mean you're above somebody. When you're in a position of submission, doesn't mean you're actually below somebody or lesser than somebody. This is how the world works. This is how that without authority and submission, there would be chaos. If your children don't submit to you, how does your household work out? Chaotically. We all have times where we're in authority, authority over our, over our kids. But we're all, we all have times where we're under authority, under the authority of our boss. We all have times when we're in authority. Even Blake has authority sometimes over John when he needs it. But I'm not the ultimate authority because when I drive down the road, if I decide to go 90 down the 198 and I get pulled over, I can't just run from the cops and say, I don't submit to authority. We, we, the authority submission exists all around us. Here's an example of it in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. What we see in Scripture is not that God the Father is greater than the Son or that the Son is greater than the Spirit, but that they work together in this authority submission structure to bring about unity, to bring about peace. To work together for the better of one another. And even when you're in authority, guess what you're doing when you're in a position of authority? You are serving those under you. And when you are under somebody else and you respond well and you respect them and you love them, you are honoring God because that's what the son does to the father. The son respects the will of the father. So children, respect your parents. Employees, respect your bosses. Respect law enforcement. Respect our governing authorities. I know that's getting harder and harder to do. Respect. And here's the thing one reason it's important to respect them is because others are gonna have to learn to respect you. There are times kids need to respect you. You're in a classroom, you're a teacher, that classroom needs to respect you. You're a boss. That, that your employees need to respect you. Authority submission structures are, uh, they, they model the love and unity of the Trinity. Finally, the last thing I want to say about application is this. The Trinity models the significance of honesty and integrity. There are no lies in God. No dishonesty in God. No skeletons in the closet. Nothing that the Father is hiding from the Son, just complete transparency, perfect love. God is love. He sets the bar for relationships. He sets the bar for healthy marriages. He sets the bar for healthy friendships. And so one thing that we can learn is to grow in our honesty in our integrity with our relationships, to model the Trinity in loving others, being real with others, being transparent, letting our guard down. I know, church, how hard it is to let your guard down to let people in. But that is where you get to experience oneness, the kind of oneness that exists within God. And so is your marriage open and honest? And your friendships are your open and honest? The Father sent the Son so that you can have closeness with God. The Father sent the Son so that you can have closeness with one another. The Father and the Son sent the Spirit so that you can love well You can lead well, you can serve well, you can care. Your heart, if it's shriveled up, it can grow because the Spirit of God will awaken you to be a new person. And if you today want to become a new person, I want you to know today is the day of salvation for you. Today can be the day where you finally say, Jesus, I believe. Holy Spirit, I want you in my heart. I can't do this on my own anymore. I can't love like I'm called to. I can't serve like I'm called to. I can't get rid of these things that are bringing me down. I need you to regenerate me, to make me new. And the spirit will come in you. The Jesus will pay your record of debt in full. You'll be forgiven, made new, and you will have a relationship with the father and you will never, ever, ever be the same again. We're gonna close with a song and afterwards we're always available for prayer. And so if you need prayer in anything, whether it's a relationship thing or a relationship with God thing, make sure to come and pray with us after service. Why don't you guys stand and, well, actually I'm gonna pray and we'll stand. Sorry, sorry, let's pray and then we'll stand. That was a false start, false start. Okay, let's pray. (laughs) Father God, I'm just in awe of how much you love us. That the entire Trinity would make home in us you you love us so much you sent your son to forgive us, to make a way you love us so much that you've chosen not to dwell in temples made by human hands, you've chosen to dwell in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls anyone and everyone who believes in you we worship God the Father God the Son God the Spirit, three in one, we praise you today. We pray that anything that's been weighing us down, anything that's been beating us up, that we'd surrender, that we'd find your peace, that we'd find your hope, that we'd leave this place knowing you are for us and not against us, and nothing can separate us from your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.